Uh, Corinth is an interesting church in the New Testament. It's, um, as you know, Paul um, uh, has been described as the great missionary of the church, although probably the greater um, centres like Rome and Alexandria were planted by... They were really the big centres, but they were planted by someone else, who we don't know, by the way. But what we have in the scriptures is Paul's um, dealings with his churches around the place and we know about his missionary journeys and all the rest of it and um, so Paul has this church that he he came across called the Corinthians or uh, when he preached they came they came into faith and salvation and uh, it's really quite a story on that particular journey when he was moving around he um, uh, he'd already uh, been in ministry with the, the Galatians you've got the, the letter to the Galatians and then on the next journey, he went right up, sort of sort of pressing on into Asia, and he went through Philippi. You can read all of this in Acts, and then down through um, Thessalonia and Athens and sort of down from the north, and he ended up in Corinth, really, at the end of the leg of that particular journey. And um, he got, uh, when he went to Philippi and Thessalonica, Thessalonica you can read there that he got... Um, they got belted really quite severely. A church sprung up in each of those centres and really quite wonderful things happened. But quite serious persecution broke out against all the Christians there and Paul and his team and life was pretty difficult. And he turns up really in Corinth. And if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, you know, I came with, um, to you with fear and trembling. Remember he said that? Uh, and the words I came, I brought to you were not, you know, of man's wisdom. They were in the power of the Holy Spirit. So really, if you look at those words in the context of what he was, what he was in, um, you know, when he says, I came to you with fear and trembling, he was, he was probably a total wreck. You know, in 1 Corinthians, in the first letter to the Corinthians, he says, you know, we, we were poor and we, we were poorly dressed, um, all of those sort of things. Um, so here he turns up to this, this cosmopolitan town called Corinth and, and really I suppose um, uh, the, the, the Corinthian experience is really much the same as what we're experiencing in our Western world today. I don't know if you've picked up on that at all. But Corinth... As a cosmopolitan city, and it was a centre where the culture really celebrated um, external, showy religion or rhetorical um, people who would come in and they were like the rock stars and they'd pay, get paid a lot of money. And uh, Paul would, um, you know, Paul turns up and this kind of wreck of a man, he was obviously, it was only a, a, a few weeks after Philippi and Thessalonians and he would have had all the bruises on him. He would have, he would have been a mess. You know, we, we call it, uh, what, a PTSD or something today, don't we? He probably had PTSD, you know. You know, like when you've been in a really terrible situation and, you know, it really messes with your, with your mind a bit. It does for a while. But Paul just, you know, his, his whole... Ministry was to stand up and proclaim the gospel. So he did that no matter where he was within his own person. And he, in a way, didn't really 
talk about himself much with the church, but he did with the Corinthians. So not to bring glory to himself, but to bring glory to Christ. So the key, the key to all of this. How, so when he came to Corinth, he met, he, you know, he met this culture, and you couldn't get two more opposites uh, of of in persons in meeting, as it were. Uh, Paul, this, this wreck of a man who was poor, who visibly was not particularly good to look at, uh, and neither was the Lord Jesus, by the way. Isaiah fifty three says that. He wasn't really much to look at. Um, so he came and despite all of the differences, the spirit of God came through and blew the whole situ- situation apart. So Paul, Paul has this thing about the the church understanding that um, the only way you come into an understanding of the truth is by the Holy Spirit. Um, you can't manipulate and organise yourself into salvation and you can't organise yourself into understanding truth within yourself and of yourself. You can't, I mean, we do all this stuff here today in our churches, but in a way it's a secondary thing really in the end because we go home and we have to live our lives, don't we? No matter what we do here, we have to go home and live and work Amen. and suffer, really. Mm. So the issue of how we go with God and all of that is not dependent on, on all of these things. It's dependent on really the Holy Spirit. And whether you have received the Spirit and whether the Spirit has come to you and has spoken to you. Now, the Holy Spirit is incredibly important in the New Testament, because the Spirit is the Spirit of glory, as Paul's saying. And what the Spirit does is, you know, we have these three persons of the Trinity that's opened up through the Scriptures, as the Church is called, calls the Father, uh, God the Father, Son and Spirit, and rightly so, because the text really demands us to talk like that in the end. And um, there's this, um, you know, how do you actually come to know God? How, Paul talks about having a knowledge of God. Well, how, how do you know God? Especially if you're like the Corinthians and your whole culture is about image and success and wealth and being clever. That's the Corinthian culture. Image, success, wealth and being clever. Does that sound familiar? Amen. That's the Corinthian culture. And they were the worst church to deal with. In the New Testament. The churches that really, that Paul found easier to work with were the ones that were poor and weak and struggling. Same in the book of Revelation. The churches that were weak and frail and struggling and poor, with no outward showiness in the worldly sense, they were the ones that, that Jesus affirmed. The wealthy churches were the problem, problematic churches. So that's something for us to really get our head into, isn't it? So um, the spirit, so how does the knowledge of God, how do we actually come to know God? Because we can't see God, can we? And God is on his throne, as the scriptures say, and he's surrounded by all his cosmic world of angels and spiritual beings 
And we somehow come into fellowship with all of that through the incarnation of Christ. And how do you see all of that? How do you know it? And then, you know, I mean, not just intellectually, but how do you actually know that? How does it enter into your heart and into your guts or into your conscience? How does that all happen? And how does Jesus Christ, a man who lived 2,000 years and, and walked around and did all these amazing things and died for our sins and rose again for, for the hope of glory and for the resurrection of the body, how does that all come through? Well, well, it's beyond our intellect, isn't it? It's beyond our immediate culture to get that. So the only way this all comes is this, um, this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, the Spirit uh, moves amongst the church, and he's this, what the church calls him, the third person of the Trinity. And he, he has this ministry, and he, he's really the quintessential servant of the Trinity, if you put it that way, because he brings no glory to himself. And what he does is he, he, he lives and works. You see, he's the eternal spirit, so he's unembodied person, so he has no body, so he's not limited by time or space. And he is at once at the beginning and the end, and he is at once in the heavens and he is once on earth. He is, he's, he's the spirit of the Father. He's the spirit of the Son. And as the spirit of the Father and the spirit of the Son fills us, the Father and the Son come to us and he brings together all of the work of history and all of the work of eternity and he brings all of that and he puts it in our hearts. That's what he does. So if you just have an intellectual faith, you, you, will, you will go nuts. You'll suicide like all the philosophers did. All the great philosophers, a lot, not all of them, but a lot of them did. Uh, or if you just want a spiritualist kind of faith, which really and then brings glory to yourself or to your church, that's a kind of a spiritualism that disconnects from the Father and the Son and the cross and the resurrection, that kind of spiritualism. You'll just bring glory to yourself in the way you talk and the way you act and you won't bring glory to God. All right. So how does the spirit work? That's, that's the thing. We're, we're, we're sort of, it's our launching pad today. And uh, so um, someone has said, when you, when, you, when, you, when you believe, you receive the spirit. And what does it mean to receive the spirit? Well, it means trouble. Because the Spirit's not interested in glorifying us like that. He's interested in bringing glory to the Son and to the Father. And he will work in a way to make us into that subordinate position of humility so that we bring glory to God and to glory to Christ, the Father. Now, leading into this, now, now the... The, the, the language of glory that we've read in our text, leading up into this in the, in the, in the previous two or three chapters, Paul's been, uh, just read to you from chapter 3, he says, Are we beginning to mend ourselves again, or do we need, verse 1, as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all, 
And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. So this amazing situation set up, this, this relationship with this church, and he goes there, and he stayed there in Acts, it says in Acts, for a year and a half, and he would have, he would have taught them solidly every day for a year and a half. So they would have been well taught in this community. They would have understood Christ and the spirit had come upon them, as he says in in the first letter. Amazing things happened, miracles, all the whole thing happened. And in all of that, you see, this ragtag apostle turns up and this amazing relationship develops between this apostle and this church, and you know, over a year and a half, people were saved out of hell, the hell of life, and brought into an eternal glory in Christ. And uh, and then he goes away. You see, he has to. He goes away on the rest of his ministry and doing his other things. Uh, heads back to Jerusalem. Heads back down towards Jerusalem after after he was there, and then. You know, it all starts to break down again. Um, and in a way, they turn, they turn on him. These other leaders come in. And you see, these are these flashy leaders that turn up and it's all about them, you see. It's about the spirit of the age. It's all about them. And it's all about the show and the success you know, and so, so Paul's forced into this way of talking and he says, you know, and you want me, you want a letter of recommendation from me? Now, a letter, you know, references are okay, aren't they? You ever gone for a job? You take a reference, don't you? If you don't know, if you don't know the person, there's nothing wrong with references. And he says, but, you know, he's saying, but you and I, what's all this about ink? You don't, need, you don't need ink. You have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. You have, God's done something with us and uh, you know, we've passed that. And the same thing with the Jews, by the way. You're not justified by the law. You know, you take God out of the law and what have you got? You've got the letter, Paul says. And he says in Galatians and Romans, you know, you, you know these are more um, Jewish sort of believers. You know, you can't. You can't know God just by the letter, ink and paper and, you know, all the rest of it. (laughs) You have the Holy Spirit. Come on, guys. All right, so here we have this uh, amazing thing. So, you know, that's something that happens uh, when we move away from the Spirit and one of the problems with the Corinthians is they were personality driven. You know, I'm Paul, I'm of Apollos. So, so in the back of their minds, they were latching onto people in an unhealthy way. And then all of that leads you away from the Holy Spirit who leads you to Christ and you're onto personalities. And see, the culture has a very powerful impact on the way we live and the way we think. And the Holy Spirit brings us into something so, so incredibly different from the world, it takes all of our life and our discipline to keep ourselves out of the clutches of, this, of the God of this world, as, as Paul says. 
Because the God of this world is a liar and a deceiver and a murderer and it's a spiritual reality in all of that. And he comes to get your heart and he comes to confuse your mind or to overinflate your mind or to give you a big ego or something and to put you out of proportion in the glory structures of the cosmos. See, the spirit puts us into this glory thing that we've been talking about. So, you know, so in the end, you know, we, we could say, you know, um, you know, letters of recommendation, the law, ink and paper, it's all, it all has its place, doesn't it? It all has its place. Constitutions can have their place, can't they? But they, it all, it, all of that stuff can become hell in our relationships if we're not careful. If we throw the spirit out. All right, so Paul says, no, I didn't come with, with ink and paper. I came to you as an apostle with the open statement of the truth. It's not confined on paper or ink. Look, this Holy Spirit was in me and he gave me the truth. He revealed the truth. I knew the truth by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit spoke through me and Christ was in that and the, the Father was speaking through it all as well and you came into a relationship with God, Father, Son and Spirit. And so that's what the open statement, and it's a, it's a statement for the world. And it's not just for us to have our little thing where we become seen to be successful or wealthy or clever or whatever, spiritual or whatever you want to put on it, or doing good works or whatever. It's, 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 they're, they're, they all have their, in a way, they can have their place. You know what I'm saying? Paul's not throwing everything out when he's saying this. What he, he's, he's wanting to bring us into the spirit, as we've said, but the spirit, the spirit and his ministry of glory. So let, let's ask the question. You see, you, you, can, you can listen to something or read something in your Bible and it can go to rack and ruin in your mind in an hour or five minutes or even two minutes. You can go to bed full of joy, having been blessed in the word or in some way in life, and you can wake up in hell. You been like that? You been been there? That, that's that's the battle we're in. You see, now, now the thing is, Paul's saying what what overcomes all of that kind of emphasis is this ministry of the Spirit, but not just a ministry of any spirits. The Holy Spirit, who brings the glory, He's the Lord who is the Spirit. He is Yahweh. Just as God is Yahweh and Christ is Yahweh, Paul says, so there we're in the mystery of the Trinity. He said, this spirit is the Lord and he brings this ministry of glory and we have unveiled faces now. And unlike the old covenant where we can now enter and we have now entered into the cosmic glory of the throne room of God, and that is where we live. Now, if that glory goes, you become a sucker for the world. You do. And your joy goes, 
and you're sucking lemons. My son used to suck on lemons. I put, put lemons on the tea table and he would cut them up and he would suck them in front of all of us just to annoy us. But he would smile. He was a bit of a nut. He still is. And he would eat chilies in front of us too, just to make us all cringe. But anyway, that's another story. So, we're, we're, so the Spirit brings us... So what is glory? Let's talk about glory. Glory is the manifestation of a, of a person's essence. So you can't... The Scriptures say you can't see God and live. But remember Moses said, show me your glory. He realised he could, you know, God could show him his glory. So God, and even revealing, when God reveals his glory, it's a bit of an issue because Moses has, has to be hidden in the cleft of the rock because the glory of God is really quite something spectacular and wonderful. Now, I want to ask you today, have you believed that Jesus has died for your sins? Have you believed that God has raised him from the dead after three days. His body was in the ground, completely dead, and God raised him up. Do you believe that? Well, let me say to you, God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with that gift of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God has come into your heart. The glory has come. And you see, if you don't have that glory, and I'm not just talking about having an experience. It may be an experience. It may be just something that's in your heart and you know. You know the Holy Spirit comes and you know. You have a DNA. You know. You just know. (laughs) And there's a Depth in you, like a foundation and, a, and, a, and, a, and something in you that just, just, just gets you and burns. Do you, you, you get that? Well, I'm not, well, I'm not trying to say we have to have an experience here. I'm not, not trying to push us into that, but I'm just saying, uh, you see, Corinth was a revival situation. <laughs> I mean, goodness, wouldn't it have been amazing to have been there? These pagans coming to, coming to life and faith. And you see, you can have all the experience, but you can miss the glory. That's the danger. And the glory, you see, that what, how does glory work in the Bible? Well, glory, there's a lot about glory in the Bible. I'll read to you from 1 Corinthians. And Paul's talking about this through the book in one way or another. But 1 Corinthians, uh, he's talking about the resurrection here, but for the sake of time, I'll just read from 1 Corinthians 15, 38. But God gives, gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans and another for animals and another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one, of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. 
There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. I mean, the, 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 the scientists will tell you that, you know. This, this Milky Way is bigger than that one. That's got 200 billion stars and that's got 100 billion stars in that one and that one's bigger and better and all the rest of it. But you notice in our text, you know, for God, he said, let the light, let light shine out of the dark. This is in our text, verse 6, for verse 4, chapter 4, verse 6. Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of, of Jesus Christ. So Moses had a veil, and the, uh, but the Corinthians, they don't have a veil anymore. That's chapter 3. The glory's come in Christ. There's a new glory. And did you did notice in uh, 1 Corinthians, in that first reading from 15, chapter 15, there's different... You see, this is a bit that... You got, we've got to think about this today a little bit. Put your mind into gear. There's different differentiations of glory. Now, we live in a world that homogenizes everything into a bland grey soup. You know, we're all equal. You know, well, bollocks. Garbology. It's not theology, it's garbology. We, we, uh, we, let me try and explain a bit more. And Paul's saying there's one type of glory. So the first thing he says, there's differentiations of glory. So how does God make the cosmos? Well, God makes the cosmos with all kinds of different forms of the creation. And every part of the creation has a glory to it. I mean, people study ants. They do PhD on ants. I mean, it would be very... And you look at an ant closely and they're quite a, quite a glorious little creature, aren't they? Really? And my, my son has little midget rabbit things. I don't know what they're called, but they're a special type of rabbit. And he has, he's bought these pair of little tiny... And they're little tiny things and they, they run their lives, you know. They come inside and they eat with them at the tea table and, you know, and everyone goes, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, and it's all good fun and it's really quite glorious. These little silly little creatures, you know. But he says, well, the, the, the moon's got one sort of glory and the sun's got another kind of glory. So we love the moon, don't we? You go outside at night and on a, on a full moon night and it's quite something, isn't it? The light. But the sun, now there's glory. The moon has a glory, the sun has a greater glory. And he's been saying just before this, you know, you've got to get this differentiations of glory. This different, the Old Testament has a different glory from the New we go back to the old, but you can't go there in the same way because the New Testament, the New Covenant has come and there's a new glory. And so, uh, so there's not just differentiations of glory, there's hierarchies of glory. God has made everything this way. This is why we're destroying ourselves in our society. We have a mindset of egalitarianism and equality and all this stuff and it destroys our faith. It's the teaching of demons, I tell you. Ignore it. There's this, there's not only are these differentiation of glories, there's hierarchies of glory. So you go to Psalm 89. 
And it gives you a picture of this divine council. And God is on his throne. And all the angels are serving him and worshipping him and bowing down. Now an angel has glory, you see. They're angelic creatures. We don't see them, do we? Well, we know they're there. They're spiritual beings and the seraphim and the, and the cherubim, cherubim, the guardians, and the seraphims are sort of like worship leaders and the angels are messengers and all the rest of it and they're doing all their bit and there's thousands and millions of these creatures and you see there's all this hive of activity around this throne and God is on his throne and you see all of these creatures are glorious and they need to be acknowledged as glorious but they're nothing compared to the glory of God if you have an egalitarian mind God will just be pushed down into your life and so we have to, hello? Yes, well, that's right. There, yeah, oh, yeah, well, that's another thing, isn't it? The reflection of glory. Well, well, let's go there. That's a good point because, you know, what are we? Paul talks about it in our text. What are we? Yeah, we're the image of God. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're, we're not God. We're, we're, we're like God, but we're not God. All that God is, someone said, all that God is, man is like that. All that God is, man is none of that. So, uh, so there's, there's this differentiation and there's this uh, uh, hierarchy and we will add, you know, you know, you've brought that in here, so we'll bring that in here. We're, we're the image of God. And so where does, in all of the cosmic created world, seen and unseen, where does God show his greatest glory? Well, in his image. All right. So no one has ever seen God, John says, but if we love one another, they'll see God. That's what he's saying, you see. All right, so you've got, he's wanting them to see this, this glory. And the glory is understood in, you see, he says, um, we commend, we, we, uh, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Then he talks about, so in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. So the spirit works, he doesn't ignore the glories of the created seen world. So, we need to have what, what we call a spirit of wisdom, a, 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 a spirit of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, we can put it that way, which is to do with the created world. Perhaps we could say seen in this context, but, but what Paul's saying here is that God is working in the, in the area of the conscience and in the heart, in the unseen part of our human life. And it's in that unseen world that God is working. And the God of this world hates all of this truth. He hates God being on his throne and everyone worshipping and praising him. And he wants to take the glory from God and bring it onto ourselves. And he, he, he deceives us to think that we are the centre of the universe and that all the glory must come to us. 
you know, now people get really upset if you, if they're not sort of affirmed 100% of the time. Have you noticed that? They have to be sort of stroked and, you know, you have to rub oil on people's backs to make them feel good all the time, you know, because, but, you know, something's changed, you know. I remember our, our youth group not too long ago, I just walked into the room and I said to them, OK, you ugly lot. <laughs> and they looked at me like <laughs> yeah. well you see there, there, there's a you know it's a bit of a cultural thing to, to talk like that and you've got to be a little bit careful but um, and I know that all that all the time although my wife just gives me uh, She's Hungarian and she's very serious. <laughs> you know, the Hungarians, you know, they've, they've got to get together and if you haven't had a cry, you haven't had a good time. And she marries this crazy Australian, you know, with no sense or, or respect. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Yeah, well, we're always laughing a lot. We're laughing too much. She's crying too much. So between the between all of us, we somehow are your families like that? Oh, ours is a total mess all the time. It is. It's just like that. Anyway, we believe, and we have the gospel, so we all love each other. All right. So there's all this glory. Remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 15, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 14, he says, you know, when people come in, you know, they should fall down on their face and say, you know, God is really among you. I said to my men the other night, the leaders, we had a bit of a get-together with the, with the fellas who lead, and I said, you know, when you, when you, when you lead, yeah, if you're a leader in the church, by the way, like Paul, uh, if you're a pastor or a leader, or you do anything, if you lead communion, you know, the, the war is on. And you get belted spiritually. You get belted, you get battered, and it's very easy. If you do not have a strong faith, you'll get, you'll get uh, and you could go in any direction in your life if you're not careful. And uh, so, how do we how do we how do we do church? And I'm saying to them, you know, when when you lead the worship, I say you are in the presence of this cosmic throne room of God, and all of these cosmic beings and all of the church universal are seen to be bowing down. In the, you know, the Book of Revelation, they're bowing down to to God. On the throne, and there's joy, but there's fear. Psalms two says, uh, "Rejoice in the Lord with trembling." That's how the words he uses it. So there's this glory, you see, that really is beyond now. It's just in a way when we come to it, we we kind of just know it. We have this DNA. So what I'm encouraging us to see here. This is a, a fellowship. 
a church fellowship. But the Spirit has come. We know Christ, crucified and risen. And we know God, the Father. So this is a fellowship of glory. And it's a mysterious, eternal, universal glory that comes out of the heavens into our hearts through the incarnation of Christ by the Spirit. That is what needs to be working out. And Paul demands this of the church. He won't have it any other way. He says, this is the kind of faith you have. And so how does this practically work? Well, you see, we, in, in Ephesians, Paul says, Jesus, the glorious ascended Lord, gives gifts of ministry to the church. You know, apostles, um, um, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And they're all word ministries. But you see, like we've been saying, this is not a, a word ministry of letter. It's the ministry of the Spirit. And so uh, we have this uh, truth. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says, that truth has to be prophesied by the church to all the angelic realms. So as we speak today, we're preaching to the angels. They're listening to us. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 3. And we've got a job to take this whole gospel to the nations, to the world, people around us. Now, if we keep our mouth shut about this glory, you won't suffer. But the God of this world is fighting. There's this cosmic battle. And you see, God doesn't need us, but he's called us into this ministry with him to show his glory in his grace and in his sovereignty and to show that he works completely differently from people who rebel against him. And in doing that, he actually reveals his glory. So, so why all this business about suffering? So why be a Christian if you're afflicted in every way? Why even be a Christian? Why be uh, a Christian if you're crushed? Have you been crushed? Well, have you? Uh, have you been driven? Have you been perplexed? And you see, uh, always carrying in, in us the, the body of the death of Jesus. Why? <laughs> you see, this is the mystery of the glory. And this is, only the Spirit can get, you through, get, get this through to us. And that is God works to the other side of human expectation. So if you do, as a rule of thumb, not, not with everything, but as a rule of thumb in a spiritual sense, if you do everything different from the world around us today, you'll be probably doing the right thing. But God does it from the other side. And he uses this cross of the cross of his son. And there's a glory in that cross, in the suffering. But you see... You see, Paul, Paul is afflicted and he is perplexed. He is persecuted. He is struck down. That's what it means to be an apostle and for the Christian church as well. But you see, those experiences, you see, the way he talks, you, you get into those places 
of being perplexed and being struck down. And he's saying, the spirit doesn't allow you to treat yourself as a victim. Because the miracle is, and the majesty of God works through all of that suffering for, for our glory, but ultimately for his glory. He will do it. And with all of this, there's a hope that pushes us on and a hope that keeps us into the future. So Paul, Jesus said, you carry around the cross daily. You keep it going and you keep it, you keep the, the faith and you actualize your faith in the suffering to bring this glory of God into your life, as it were, as, a, as, a, as an act of reception to what God is doing. All right, we've run out of time, but I want to encourage you today. So Paul, right at the end, he says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. So our life is, our bodies are falling to pieces, as we've talked about today. But this slight and momentary affliction in the context of the glory of eternity and of God is preparing for us and now is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the seen is given is giving way to the unseen. So what is important is not what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is unseen has to do with God who is unseen. And God is doing his work through Christ and by the Spirit. So faith says we don't live by, by sight. We, we don't live by sight, we live by faith. So we live to our, our eyes, we live to our ears, and we activate and we respond to that faith, to that gift of the Spirit in our lives. So when these things come upon us, there is a demand of faith. Of, of the apostles and of Christ. You must believe. It's through faith you are saved, not through anything else. So whatever you find yourself in, you activate faith. You say, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are sovereign. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that somehow I'm in all of that. I believe that he's risen from the dead and that one day I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to live in eternity. So you live, you activate your faith in that way. Your mind is conformed to this way of thinking. And it requires the training of God to do that. Because this is the way he wants us to respond and to believe in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that you are our great father, our holy father on the throne. We thank you, Father, for the way in which you have come to us. That you have opened up our hearts. That you have sent your Son to die for us and to rise and sent your Spirit with your Son to us. And in all of this, Father, we our hearts are warmed and strengthened. We pray, Father, that, that we would be in all of this glory that you would open up the great things of life to us, the great cosmic realities, and that our hearts would be set on our Lord 
and that we would be ready to go into eternal life with a new body one day. So, Father, help us, we pray. Keep us from the God of this world, from the culture that robs us of all that would be uh, to do with this glory. So fill us, we pray. And I pray for this church, Father, for the Living Word Church here. I pray that your spirit would come upon this, this people in a new and a fresh way and that Christ would be seen and confessed as Lord in all that they do. And that, Father, this would all be gathered up to be, be, bring you glory and praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.